History will remember Joe Biden as a failed leader, not just of the United States, but of international statesmen, for failing to give the Ukrainians what they said they needed, MiGs, harpoon missiles in December, and other forms of weaponry to defend themselves and protect themselves. The full extent of the slaughter and the casualties taking place are unknown as I speak, but it's going to be horrific. It's just a matter of time. This is where freedom reigns. If you believe in America, if you believe in the Constitution, the Constitution empowers us. It's a new day. America's back. America's back and America's going to get strong again. We're going to defend America and we're going to defend our interests. Liberty's Voice, Levin TV. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin and this is Levin TV. I thought this was a propitious moment to remind people of the history of Stalin and Russia and the old Soviet Union and Ukraine. Literally 90 years ago, Stalin surrounded the Ukraine, starved those people. Millions and millions of them died in horrific ways. And it comes to mind because of what Putin is doing now to the Ukrainians, something very similar. He's surrounding their cities. He's bombarding them. He's cutting off routes for food and medicine and other necessities. You have a massive refugee movement taking place. 10% of the population of Ukraine has already crossed the border into Eastern European countries or is doing so as I speak. We have no idea what the casualty numbers are, but they must be immense. They must be immense. And I have to tell you something. I'm embarrassed. That's the word. I'm embarrassed by the Biden administration and the failure to support these people to the extent they could have before Putin invaded and since. And I hear some of these so-called experts on cable TV and in their columns and so forth saying MIGs wouldn't have made the difference. Uh, as they sit at home in their warm homes um, telling us that MIGs wouldn't make the difference while the Ukrainians have been begging for MIGs, I suspect that the Ukrainians know what they want and what they need. They could have taken out that 40 mile long convoy of tanks and armored personnel carriers and they weren't able to. They have 50 jets in their entire air force. They were gonna get 20 or 30 more and uh, Joe Biden pulled the plug. Just like he did on harpoon missiles that they had requested in December before Putin invaded, but they knew he would in order to protect themselves against uh, the Russian Navy in the Black Sea up through the Crimea and so forth. And they've been pulverizing their port cities. These people need our support. They need our help. Reagan would not have uh, blinked like this. Trump would not have blinked like this. How do we know? He told us. But Reagan would confront the Soviet Union all over the world. He confronted them in our hemisphere, in Nicaragua and elsewhere. He confronted them in Angola. He confronted them in Europe. And he confronted them, of course, in Afghanistan. Not with American infantry, but with American equipment and know-how and support. And that's what we owe the Ukrainian people. What does this have to do with us? It has everything to do with us. This thing bleeds over into NATO. It triggers a war with us. I've already said this is the beginning of World War III. The question is whether we can contain it or not. And I'm not going to keep going over what I've said repeatedly, but the idea that Ukraine is not allowed to win, Ukraine is not allowed to have a stalemate because it might upset Putin. He keeps waving around the threat of nuclear weapons. is is appalling. It's, it's, it's provocative. 
Putin is the kind of dictator where he sees weakness, he acts. That's why he pulled it, he moved into uh, Ukraine in the first place. He saw Biden, he saw Afghanistan, he saw what they did with the pipeline and all the rest. So he moved. Xi's watching now. Iran's already fired missiles towards our consulate in Iraq. They don't seem to be nervous about anything. Gee, I wonder why. And of course, a uh, little rocket man over there is, is uh, firing missiles left and right. He's got a brand new shiny ICBM he wants to show off in the next few days or weeks. These are treacherous times, very treacherous times. But I want to remind you, I've talked about it in the past, of the slaughter of the Ukrainians 90 years ago, 1932, 1933, and a horrific genocide of starvation. You see, Stalin wanted these peasant farmers who've been peasant farmers for centuries in the Ukraine to give up their farms to the communal, to this communist system. Well, the communist system was starving people to death, including in Russia and other parts of the uh, what would be now the Soviet Union. And uh, Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe, quite frankly, whether it's wheat or corn and what have you. And uh, they were self-sufficient. And these peasants weren't about to give up their land. So what did he do? He starved them. He cut them off at sea. He cut them off on all the, uh, on, on all the borders. And he starved them to death. And there are horrific stories of uh, cannibalism and such things. People just falling in the streets and dying. Um, and, and as I say, in horrible ways. And of course, the New York Times, their uh, Johnny on the Spot reporter, was Walter Durant. He was based in Moscow, and he was feeding the American people propaganda that was fed to him by Stalin. And you could see some of that in the United States today, in uh, some newspapers, on some websites, on some TV broadcasts, pretty much people regurgitating the line from Putin. Putin views himself as Stalin. He views himself as Catherine the Great, you know, in a different way. Um, and uh, he's, he's, and, and he's very much interested in taking these lands back because from his perspective, which is, of course, insane, these are all Russian lands. These are not separate countries. This is all the greater Russia. He's not even thinking about the old Soviet uh, construct. He's thinking about pre-Soviet construct. These are Russian lands. There is no separate Ukraine or Crimea or, or all the rest of it. And so I saw this... Uh, this, I guess I'll call it a documentary. I will remember them online. It was sent to me by, by a very dear friend. And I watched the entire thing and I said, I'm going to do something unusual during this Levin TV. I have to play this. Um, it is heart-wrenching. It kind of lays out what took place in a very factual way. It was produced April 30, 2020. The genocide of the Ukrainians is called the Holodomor, the Holodomor genocide. And so let's take a look at this. It's extremely compelling. Please don't, don't shut your uh, television or whatever device you're watching. Just watch this through the end. Go.
what is the Holodomor? Why did people die? Why did children die? Who took away their food? I passed many villages. Everywhere I heard people crying. We have no bread. We are dying. Tell England that we are swelling from hunger. Gareth Jones is a well-known Welsh journalist. My son, you see, Ukraine was not always like this. 100 years ago, our ancestors restored the Ukrainian state, but it was soon occupied by the Bolshevik communists who created a new totalitarian empire, the Soviet Union. They killed people who spoke Ukrainian. They could punish someone simply for wearing an embroidered shirt. The communists took out our leaders, closed Ukrainian schools, demolished churches and proclaimed a new order. Ukrainians were deprived of land and driven into collective farms. They had to work there without days off or vacations for free. They became servants. My dad's great-grandfather Mihailo had a large family, owned land and dreamed of living in an independent Ukraine. Together with thousands like him, he took a stand against lawlessness. Moscow did not forgive the Ukrainians for such resistance. First they took away all the harvest, then all the food. Later people were driven from their homes and sent to a certain death. A famine was created in Ukraine, the purpose of which was to destroy the Ukrainians. It was genocide, my son. The Holodomor was a deliberate extermination of Ukrainians by Moscow for daring to rebuild their own state. The most atrocious crime of the 20th century claimed the lives of over 7 million Ukrainians in Ukraine and 3 million Ukrainians living in ethnic Ukrainian territories within the Soviet Union. The Holodomor genocide lasted more than 500 days, from April 1932 to November 1933. Its peak was during the spring of 1933, when 17 people died every minute from hunger, 1,000 every hour, almost 25,000 every day. Kharkiv is the former capital of the Ukrainian Socialist Soviet Republic, People who protested against the lawlessness of repressions and famine wrote letters of appeal there. But it was by Moscow's will that Kharkiv was the capital of the Holodomor. Without knowing it, hundreds of thousands of people escaped from starvation to Kharkiv and among them were homeless children who lost their parents. In 1932 and 1933, it was a very scary place. A children's prison called Komunistka. It was located near Kharkiv South Station. This is where starving children from the rural regions of Ukraine were brought after being picked up at the station. Forensic expert Andriy Kis has investigated where communists carried out famine-related crimes in Kharkiv. A former communist shelter has become a place for killing children. 
этом изоляторе коммунистка находились В этом учреждении была запредельная. Kharkiv had its own Holodomor death road. I would not name this street after Karl Marx. It was the death street. What attracts the attention is the location of this morgue and the number of corpses that laid there. This building is currently the theatre of musical comedy. In Soviet times it was known as a palace of culture, where Pischevik or food industry worker. In the year 1933 this building was a club that bore the unfortunate name Harchozmak, short for food industry. People died or were dying in a place called Harchozmak, hunger and Harchozmak. The morgue and Harchozmak are a terrible combination. If you look at the death toll in Kharkiv in 1933, you will notice something peculiar. Out of these 6,000 recorded deaths, a third of the records did not specify the address where they lived. What this means is that those people were not from Kharkiv. They came there for bread, died, and no one knew their addresses. The main instrument of the genocide was the repressive seizure of all food and the creation of conditions under which it was impossible to survive. The intention was to kill disloyal people. It was passed off by the authorities as fulfillment of a grain harvesting plan, an impossible plan. The yields per hectare in Ukraine were much higher than in Russia. When the famine began, 1.1 quintal was collected from a hectare of land in Russia versus 5 quintals in Ukraine. This is how food was seized in a bumper crop year. Another instrument of the Holodomor were the blackboards, a special regime when entire villages and even districts were subjected to total isolation and were doomed to starvation. Resolution of the Central Committee of the Communist Party of Ukraine of November 18, 1932, imposed penalties on collective farms, village councils, settlements and districts that sabotaged the performance of grain production. Entry on a blackboard led to complete isolation of a village from the outside world through blocking it by special units of the main political department. The blackboard regime was a form of administrative, military and psychological terror of the communist regime against the Ukrainian farmers. According to my calculations, 82 districts of the USSR were put onto the blackboards. This was almost a third of all districts. While the average regional mortality in the regions of Ukraine was 30 to 35 percent, in the blackboard regions the mortality rate was 50 to 70 percent. In fact, more than half of the village population died out. There are documents in the archives which state the fact that the villages, which had become completely extinct, had a black flag hung at the highest point. 
найвищій точці вивішували чорний прапор. However, the friendly Russian Republic did not share the same features of the famine, such as the unrealistic plans for grain production and the blackboard regime. The Kuban and parts of the Volga regions inhabited by Ukrainians were the only exceptions. To prevent Ukrainians from escaping to other non-Ukrainian regions of the USSR in search of food, the decision of the Politburo of the Central Committee of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union on the passport system and unloading of cities from extra elements, as it was called, was made on November 15, 1932. A single passport system was introduced for the entire USSR and all other certificates were abolished. When the Holodomor reached its critical point, then by the decision of the Council of People's Commissars of the Ukrainian SSR on April 28, 1933, the citizens whose place of residence was defined as village or town were not given passports at all. Therefore, they were unable to leave the place where the famine was being perpetrated. There was a bit of land, it was sown last year, and it was harvested somehow. On the other side where I grew, and we started eating the dry, and here a man arrives on horseback. The boys had some heads of grain in their bags, they quickly threw them away, and I began thinking to myself that I had not even picked up anything there. I picked up those grains on the road where I grew. The man rose it down. I come home and see that an officer has taken my mother to prison in Lysyanka for stealing those heads of rye. On 7th of August 1932, the Central Executive Committee and the Council of People's Commissars of the Ukrainian SSR issued a decree on safekeeping property of state enterprises, collective farms and cooperatives and strengthening public socialist property which was also known as the Law of Five Heads of Grain. It was forbidden to pick up any crop leftovers on the fields, even after the harvest. For a handful of grains or several heads of grain were picked up, people could receive up to 10 years in prison and there were cases of shooting on the spot. A particular aspect of the humanitarian catastrophe was the fate of children and adolescents in areas where the genocide was being carried out. The communists set up a special network of shelters which in fact became children's concentration camps, death camps. One of them operated in Zaporizhia in the city centre. It was called Malyutka or Baby. According to historians in Zaporizhia's Special Children's Center under NKVD of the USSR, Malyutka, in 1932 and 1933, more than 700 children died of hunger aged between 1 and 12 years. Obviously, this was a unique case. It was an industrial center which was said to be provided with rations. This is where the Dnipro hydroelectric station and the Dnipro Spetsdal plant were located, where other factories were under construction. And suddenly there is such child killing. Furthermore, it happened in the center of a thriving city that looked like a scene from a movie. 
Всі діти були роздягнені. All the kids were undressed even though it was winter. The premises were not heated. They slept on bare boards. Most slept on the floor. No beds or bedclothes were provided. Rats were running around and an epidemic was apparently spreading. Ніхто не припускав. Бігали щури і очевидно ширилася епідемія. Juvenile prisoners in children's center in the Odessa region were in similar conditions. In the Comintern district of Odessa city, there were infants up to five years old. 80 liters of milk was allegedly dispensed for them, but when divided by the number of children, it amounted to just a teaspoon per day. This is essentially nothing for these children. Mirohod, Poltava region. House number 31 in Yakivska Street. During the Holodomor genocide, it was another special children's orphanage. The children stayed outside and were so exhausted they could no longer walk. One of the people who lived in this orphanage compared them to small goats who leaned on their elbows, on their knees, crawled around the yard, gritted the grass with their teeth and ate leaves on the trees. Of course, most of them died in agony because a child's body just cannot handle that. The extent of the infant mortality can be seen in archival documents, but not official mortality statistics. Those were closely concealed. 46 children were born in Bereshivka in 1932. In 1940, only 23 eight-year-olds went to school. Next, in the village of Vitovtsi, 108 children were born in 1932. But in 1940, only 10 went to school. Where are the children? So why is this famine called a genocide? Stalin's most genocidal goal was to turn the free-spirited Ukrainian population, the farmers, the intelligentsia, into rivets. As he put it, rivets of the great state machine. He wanted to turn Ukrainians into Russian rivets. songs were taught to us every day at the shelter. We start the day with a song about Stalin. We don't know any better songs on earth. And a few months later, mothers came to the orphanage. Children recognize them. They cry. If you knew how I was expecting my mother, but she did not come. The additional purposes of those children's death camps were political brainwashing, inciting hatred of one's own nation, forced alienation from the native Ukrainian language. The forced alienation of children from the Ukrainian language in orphanages is a phenomenon recorded by the historian Ala Horova the granddaughter of Konotop death camp prisoner Katerina Prokopenko. Alla's grandmother was sent there after her family from the village of Holinka in Chernihiv region was repressed. 
When she returned to her mother, the child could not understand a word of the language that her relatives spoke. Education was provided only in Russian. During the year, the children learned and spoke Russian very well. And Katrusia, who was quite little at that time, was very easily influenced. She spoke Russian for a whole year and it was convenient for her. If she had stayed in that orphanage for a longer time, then that impact would have been much greater. Did the Ukrainians of Galicia and Volhynia, who were under Polish rule, know about Holodomor? Despite Moscow's conspiracy measures, the information blockade was broken by a Greek Catholic church based in Lviv. In December 1932, the Metropolitan of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, Andriy Sheptitsky, systematized data on the famine in the Ukrainian SSR, establishing a bureau that collected materials on the Holodomor. The church launched a worldwide information campaign on crimes in the Ukrainian SSR. On 24th of July 1933, Andriy Sheptitsky and the higher clergy of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church issued a proclamation called Ukraine in Dying Convulsions. It appealed to Christians around the world to spread the truth about Holodomor in Ukraine and to help the starving Ukrainian people. 35 Ukrainian NGOs had joined the Civic Rescue Committee of Ukraine, which had become a coordinator of assistance to the victims of communist genocide. Aid from the West also went through illegal ways across the Polish-Soviet border. In particular, food for the hungry was delivered on rafts. At the same time, Ukrainians were fleeing to Poland. In 1932 alone, more than 5,000 fugitives from Soviet Ukraine were caught and executed, according to historian Volodymyr Suhichuk. In October 1933, a member of the organization of Ukrainian nationalists, Mykola Lemek, killed the USSR consul to Poland, Alexei Mylov, in protest at the genocide. Poland, however, did not support the vote on assistance to Ukrainians in the USSR in the League of Nations. The Polish position had split society and provoked a political crisis. We read a lot of documents. The Galician press appealed to the governments of the United Kingdom, the United States and Europe to help Ukrainians survive. They were raising money, trying to get here, collecting food. However, the Soviet authorities did not allow it and cynically stated that nothing was happening there. The villages were well off. When some emissaries from Europe came, they were shown exemplary villages. Hiding and concealing the fact of the massacre of Ukrainians by famine has become a top objective for the Kremlin. The Russian Federation, being the successor to the USSR, continues to deny the Holodomor, the genocide of the Ukrainian nation. At the same time, the world community recognizes the Holodomor as a crime against humanity and condemns the action of the Soviet authorities. After the murder of millions of Ukrainians in Soviet Ukraine, in January 1934, Moscow cancelled the system of grain seizure 
According to the new rules, the mandatory delivery of bread was not to exceed one-third of each farm's crop. That is another proof that the Holodomor was being supervised. So who is to blame for these horrors? Was anyone held responsible for that? We need to know the real scale of the losses and even, if possible, establish the names of all those who died so that Ukrainians never forget what happened and learn to protect their own homeland. How to prevent such crimes in the future? By spreading the truth about the Holodomor, the accurate calculation of the victims, the punishment of the Russian Federation, the heir to the USSR, and the recognition by the international community that such crimes are unacceptable. Nazi Germany was punished. The Federal Republic of Germany accepted the responsibility. To this day, they understand that a crime was committed and they are still compensating the damages. The Soviet Union was not punished at all. Unpunished evil only breeds and gives rise to new crimes. Our compatriots need to know that ensuring our country's independence is the key to avoiding such crimes in the future. The Holodomor in Ukraine between 1932 and 1933 was officially recognized as an act of genocide of the Ukrainian nation by 17 countries. First, the Holodomor was recognized by Estonia in 1933. The second was Australia. Third came Canada. Then Hungary made that decision. The Vatican, Lithuania, Georgia, in 2006, the genocide of Ukrainians was recognized by Poland, followed by Peru, then Paraguay, Ecuador, Colombia, Mexico, Latvia, Portugal. On October the 4th, 2018, the Holodomor was recognized as a genocide by a unanimous vote of the US Senate. And this movement continues all over the world except the heir to the USSR, the Russian Federation, the country directly responsible for the act of genocide of the Ukrainian nation. The staff of the museum, the Holodomor Research Institute, together with scholars and researchers, are trying to do their utmost to shed more light on the fate of those Ukrainians who fell victims to the Holodomor. The existence of this museum is a guarantee that this work will continue that the work to recognize the Holodomor as an act of genocide will continue and the work to condemn those responsible for this crime will continue too. People live to be happy, to see their parents, the sky, their low leaves. We want to be always so that no one disappears as a feather. These people have not disappeared. I will remember them. Now I think you can see why I wanted you to see this documentary without interruption. It's very, very compelling. And here we are literally 90 years later 
And these same people are being slaughtered, they're being starved, their cities are being attacked by Vladimir Putin, who views himself as a, as a Stalin figure, that these are Russian lands and so forth. Whatever his uh, psychological issues and his distortion of history, this is going on. The Holodomor, you see, 1932, and here we are, 2022. History will remember this. History will remember those who spoke out in defense of the Ukrainian people and will remember those who did not, particularly those who spoke out in defense early on and even continuing to this day in one form or another for Vladimir Putin. History will remember Joe Biden as a failed leader, not just of the United States, but of international statesmen for failing to give the Ukrainians what they said they needed, MiGs, harpoon missiles in December, and other forms of weaponry to defend themselves and protect themselves. The full extent of the slaughter and the casualties taking place are unknown as I speak, but it's going to be horrific. It's just a matter of time. For those who are in a position like me, who have a public platform, you have a responsibility to be responsible. You have a responsibility to inform your audiences of the history of this region and what is taking place today. And while many are talking about the heroic efforts of the Ukrainian people, and by God, they are heroic, it's not enough. They say we should pray. Let's pray. Many people prayed who perished during the Holodomor. And by the way, during the Holocaust that followed shortly thereafter. Prayer is important, but from my own perspective, God also gives us free will. Pray and fight. Uh, so when people say on television or on radio that they feel for these people, they feel for these families, that's not enough. They need our help. You have tiny European countries that are stepping up to the plate because they know what this kind of horror is like. They went through World War II, they went through the Cold War. Many of them were finally freed during the Reagan era, including Poland and Romania and Hungary and, and, the, uh, and, the, and the Baltic states, Lithuania, Bosnia, Latvia, and they fear for what's to come. The problem with Putin is the problem with any genocidal dictator, whether they be Marxist or fascist or whatever their, their ideology or mindset, if any. When they see weakness, they move. People keep talking about, are we going to escalate? Are we going to escalate? The issue is deterrence. Are we going to deter them? Russia is our enemy. Communist China is our enemy. The Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran is our enemy, among others. They have now formed an axis of evil. It is an axis where one supports the other, either openly or behind the scenes. If we don't contain this, because I believe this is World War III, if we don't contain this war now, and where it begins and ends in Ukraine, it will spread, not just to Taiwan, not just the Middle East, should Iran get nuclear missiles, and under this president they will, but beyond. So if you support peace, you don't want your kids to go to war, you should be looking from a different perspective than the isolationists, the Putin wing of the Republican Party and the Democrat Party, 
and the uh, and, and the incompetent, corrupt media in this country. Just saying you're for peace and non-intervention doesn't bring you peace or non-intervention. We should have learned this from World War II, if not World War I, but definitely World War II. So now you know more about what took place in Ukraine than you've known before. Unless, of course, you've studied this in the past, which most people have not. Once again, the Russians are destroying Ukraine and slaughtering their people. And once again, the world is not doing enough to help them. I'll see you next time on Levin TV.